0: The following podcast may contain names of people who have deceased. Galata, I'm your host, Luke Briscoe. I'm a Yology man and a digital producer at NITV. In this series, I'll be exploring personal encounters with spirits from the other side. When you really think about it, there's no place in this country where you can escape from Indigenous ghost stories. On this episode we have Zach James. Zach is a nationally recognized film and television personality and he's acted on shows such as Eight Triple M and more recently the co-host of NRTV's The Shadow Trackers. <phone rings> Welcome to the show, Zach. Thanks
1: for having me on. Yeah, it looks just like start just way, you know saying um... Uh, no, I'm here by Wadjak Whitna, so I'm just on um, operating and living on Wajak um, Nunga land at the moment, just paying my respects to the elders, past and present. Thanks for having me on the show, bro.
0: Thank you for joining us. Now, Zach, can you share a bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm a uh, primarily I identify as a Wongatha man, um, so one guy from uh, Waluna and Leonora Way, which is about a thousand kilometers or nine hundred kilometers northeast from Perth in the Goldfields. Um also Yamaji too, uh from Kew Sandstone, which is just uh, you know, close to there as well. But I'm also Murray as well, so I'm from uh from Toowoomba, but don't know too much about that side. Um, I did acting on T V for a little while, I did A triple M Aboriginal Radio, uh in two thousand fourteen. And then Shadow Trackers with Hunter Page uh, after that, which was also pretty boss. Um, And then I was really lucky to have a beautiful little daughter. Uh, So I've been staying at home since then and not really traveling around acting and now COVID anyway, so I can't can't go out and act anyway. So it's been a good time to just reflect on writing and what I kind of want to contribute to our communities and what messages, if it's performing or... How we give voice back to some of our mob who haven't been as lucky because I'm I'm also fair skinned Aboriginal as well, so I have that advantage to be able to help give voice to other you know cousins, brothers and sisters who aren't able to have that voice and give them a platform. So that's what I've been focusing on for the last you know couple of years.
0: I remember uh, watching the series Shadow Trackers and even though we witnessed what happened on the screen, I'm really interested to know some of those um, events that happened off the screen that we weren't privy to. Are you able to share a bit about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Some of it, some of it I can't because just for protective uh, kind of measures because there were some really intense things that happened um, with a Ponciata woman for... For instance, um, there were some interesting kind of things that happened during that filming, which I don't really go into detail. I did have someone who watched it before. Shout out to Real Ballantyne. Um, She sent me a photo when the show was on air. It's like, did you see this? And it's this photo of the screen with lightning struck and it was on the infrared camera and it's of this tree and you can see this tree. And on either side of the tree are just these long arms just hanging out on the side, like you can see that it's clearly like this creature's arms there. And um, so I said that, and I saw that had shivers go up my spine straight away because I hadn't actually seen that. Uh, but there are, there's a few different stories about what happened uh, during Shadow Trackers. So the whole kind of premise of that show, I know Dina Curtis who was the director, and you know she kind of really came up with the idea. Um, of Shadow Tracks and then approached myself and Hunter later on and talked to us about our thoughts about, you know, spirituality and the importance in culture and our identity. Uh, and I know that her, one of her major things that she wanted to discuss and investigate was the importance of our spirits to our culture as First Nations, as Aboriginal people and the messages behind some of those stories as well. And, the reason why there is some stuff that I probably shouldn't talk about is because um as a lot of us know, connected to our drupal, to our dreaming is law, and there's things that we can't talk about on a wider audience so that's that's just the reason why I'm not going to talk about some stuff that also happened during filming. What I am going to talk about is uh a particular thing there there were a lot of different things that happened like and if you think about little signs that you shouldn't be going to do something. Because, number one, we're black. We shouldn't be investigating spirits as it is. We should be running the other way. Um, there, there were all different things, like when getting on the plane about to leave, the door's opening, you know, like three times in a row, not just once. Uh, massive delays on travelling. Uh, the, just the feelings you get. You're not meant to be doing something. Like some of us were just getting real sick. We, The original episode which was the Bunyip episode in Bow Desert, that wasn't actually what we were meant to be investigating. Uh, we were actually there to investigate something really different. And on the, the first day of filming, we kind of travelled to the south. So um, Hunter's family, who are from that way, had this other story, which was about the seven gates of hell uh, and this other this other thing, this maroon kangaroo. And because the process of shadow trackers, Hunter and I were never told any information. Uh, so Dina would just like, oh, look, this is this story. This is the name of the thing. We're just going to find out more as we go along. So when you see the way that we re- react, that was actually real because we had no idea. We we're learning everything kind of organically and on the spot. So we were traveling to this house first time and no one was there and they were meant to be there. We were like, that's weird, you know. We came back a bit later. Uh, something happened in the car, I think. It wasn't moving. It wasn't driving. And then the third time we came there again and there were just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cow, cattle just like blocking the road, not letting us get through there. And that was the very first week of us filming the show. And I think we kind of, we sat back as a crew and then was kind of like, I think maybe we shouldn't be doing the story. And apparently the yarn was about this this mother, this kangaroo that uh used to be up in the hills, and a lot of hunter's family would see it and they would like shoot at it and when it turned its face, it had like a woman's face with big long hair and everything like that and Even when I talk about it now, I feel like you know a little bit a little bit scared you know um, and the thing that that woman did was that she took the souls of young men. Or best fruits, so and Hunter and I didn't know that as well. So once we heard that, we we're like, yeah, alright let's not let's not do that one, eh? Um, so we didn't end up investigating that story. Uh, so then, with the Moolyawank, which was the third story, I think that was in Murray Bridge. We were there to investigate the Moolyawank, and so the Mulya wonk, the the yarn that Uncle Kevin passed on to us was about this, this old fellow who was an elder a long time ago. And he used to be really good at catching fish. And uh, he one day and for a while was catching all the fish and none of the other mob could any. And they came to him and asked him for fish and he refused to let them have it. And so they kind of came together and they, I think they sung him and forced him down to the bottom of the river where he transformed into this creature Which is the Muyawong, and so there's some cave systems within a specific spot in the Murray River, um, in Murray Bridge, where this Muyawong is. And the yarn goes that if you're ever in that area and you're swimming at night time, he will like grab you and take you underneath the water. So there's a couple different things um, in that. The first of all is, you know, there's the moral stories behind a lot of our dreaming stories, our jukubba stories, for young people, which is about, you know, greed and, you know, selfishness. So if you look at, say, religious scripture or something like that, and you, you look at the morals behind the stories, there's similar stuff with a lot of our dreaming as well, where there's, like, teaching us about what you can and can't do. You know, it's like when you're out camping, you don't whistle, you don't need the fire, because would actually... We'll take, you know, little hairy men. Uh it's similar in stories with these dreaming stories. So the moral was, you know, don't be selfish, share with the community. And then on the second one was that you don't go swimming in the water at nighttime, you know, because there are like strong currents and you can get dragged down. Uh and then the third one is that this thing was real because we actually saw it and we we actually caught that on camera too. I remember distinctly seeing that footage and be like, Hey, must that So... We had a houseboat for that week, which was the flashiest thing as well. I never had a houseboat before, uh, and so we we stayed on this houseboat for the entire week, and we would travel up and down Murray River um, on in Murray Bridge and investigate at night time. So the first night that we kind of we set up our anchor and we we chose a spot was really close to where this cave system was, underneath the water. So Hunter and I were set up, we had our our EVPs, uh, we had our infrared camera and, um, you know, our our in-ear microphone and stuff, so that our director could, you know, talk to us. Because Dina would stay away from the filming, she would stay out of the distance. So when you would ever see Hunter and I walking around, that's usually, we just had a GoPro on each of our heads, like the, you know, kind of made us look like uh, potatoes. Uh, And then we had someone who was shooting from afar, uh, who was getting like pickup shots, you know? And so we we started off the shot, we were on the boat alone at night time. And so we started walking around, you can feel this energy that was in the air, like you could feel your hairs at edge, you know, that feeling you get when, you know, there's something happening, there's strong energy everywhere. And I remember walking around and being really kind of not scared, but a little bit nervous about what was going to happen. I could feel like this faint pulling feeling in my, in my, well, I suppose, like mob up north called Leon or Leon. Um, that's the kind of, that's where I could feel it coming from, um, just in the stomach area. And I kind of ignored it a little bit. And so we were investigating through the house and up top and we're looking out over the river. And I remember looking out the river and shining it in the water and I seen this head that was poking above the water and real slowly just went underneath the surface, like really slowly, like purposefully. And that was the one, And... I knew it was because you could see it. it was like a human face and it was just like staring when it went under the water. But I didn't feel scared or anything like that. and No, Hunter didn't feel scared either. Uh, it, it wasn't like there was nothing, that, that this, this thing, he, he didn't have any kind of ill energy towards us and you could tell. But while this was happening, that feeling in my stomach was getting really strong, like this pulling feeling. And it was starting to make me feel kind of anxious, you know, a bit like getting nervous, a- energy, a bit jittery. And so we kind of walked around the top of the boat for a little while. And then we're like, you know what, why don't we go on land? And I'm like, yeah, sure, all right, we'll-, we'll walk around. We'll go around and look at the land. So we went it- onto the land and we started looking. This was on the kind of, um, you know what it's called, like a little beach that we were moored on. And there's like a car, a car park there. And so we're kind of looking around a little bit and you could hear this sound. Uh, it was, at first, when I first heard it, I thought it was Dina doing it, but it wasn't, but it sounded like a screeching sound. And this wasn't picked up on the cameras, which is real freaky. And you could hear it really clearly, like Hunter and I could both hear it. And this feeling, even just while I'm telling you this right now, I can feel that same kind of energy coming back again, um, this, this feeling started to really get strong. Almost like if you imagine there was it, like this this actual line coming from my stomach being pulled towards a specific place. And Hunter must have had it as well because he was going the same direction. And we ended up walking into the darkness and there was just this random park bench in the middle of nowhere too. There was nothing else around it, no pathway, nothing. And um, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, should we? And he was like, yeah, come on, let's do it. And so we turned our lights off and we just sat there in that darkness for a while. And you could just hear, as soon as the lights came off, it was like the volume just went up on all these different sounds, and this chittering of like bugs and, you know, everything, movement around. And then it just went quiet, and you just heard footsteps just coming towards like... Like sprinting towards us. And we were like, I oh, bust this, and sprinted out from that darkness, and we ran. We absolutely just hit tails, Smashing through the bush, going back, and we went straight back to the boat. boat. And everyone's like, "You right?" Like, "No, no, we're done. We just cut it for now. We'll just finish this right here." And um, we got smoked out. And um, that was that was that for that night. You know, that should have been the end of the investigation for the nighttime part because we got enough stuff that it was like, "Yeah, okay, you know, this is this is good. We got some really strong footage." Um, and that nighttime. I remember, I'm just trying to find something so I can make the sound for you. Um, Going to sleep, and on the back of my head, because obviously when the boat just heard this sound, the whole night was like... like that sound. And um, I was thinking, you know, I didn't think much of it because we're at the boat, so it must be the reeds or, you know, sticks or something like that. And woke up the next morning, and everyone was not feeling good. We were all pretty busted up, you know, so we we had cup of tea, we're all sitting around ready to look at the footage, but everything was scrambled. Like it was gone. And that was nerve wracking because number one, that hadn't happened yet so far in all the episodes we done. But number two, it meant we had to do it again. And that was, you know, that was a freaky prospect because we were already feeling a bit dodgy as it was. And so we went through the rest of the day, we continued our investigation, you know, went to a museum, talked to different elders and heard their perspectives of the Muiwong and you know, a bit more history of the area. And then that night, we kind of, you know, we were getting ready for it again. And Hunter and I were both apprehensive about it because you could feel this energy, like we, we were still moored in the same spot and you could really feel the strong energy. Uh, and it was gripping. So that feeling that it started off as a really faint pull was now gripping to the point that I was getting really anxious to get to that spot again. And that was, you know, I was swept up in that. I wasn't thinking about whether that was wrong or not. Because usually I'm pretty clued on to things, like I'm pretty aware um, with my kind of spirituality and what I perceive and read as energy, you know, um, which comes from my Nan. And Hunter seemed a lot more cool and calm in that regard. So I was also like, why are you so, you know, you, you're doing fine. You look all right. But it's on reflection that I realised that actually he wasn't. He was getting lower and lower. And it was like our energies were getting replaced, like I was taking his energy and getting real hype whilst he was getting really, really low. And so we started this investigation again and we kind of, you know, we went through the the top part and looking through the boat and then I was like alright let's go let's go let's go let's go let's go let's go, let's go to land come on bro let's go let's go let's go let's do it and I was like pretty much so I was dragging it to go in there and so we went out onto land and we started walking like I walked directly made a bead line for the spot again and Dina was like hey Zach you're right and that's, that's the director I was like yeah 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 why what's going on so I can hear your heart beating through your bike. Like, what's going on? i like, oh, I don't know. And that was the first moment that I kind of stopped and took check and I was like, what is happening, you know? Because um, Hunter seemed to be getting really low, but I was getting really, like, hyped up, you know? And we kept going towards the spot again and that screeching sound was getting really loud this time and everyone heard it, like crew. Everyone in the crew heard it. And I followed towards a spot where I thought it was, which is this old building and there's nothing there but you could hear the sound still. And so then Hunter and I we walked towards that place again where that bench was. And we're on our way there and Hunter just got punched in the stomach by something, fully punched, and he just vomited like on the ground. And he just was you know, he was gone. And there was like something that was holding on to him and so we had to grab him and where to take them away and this whole time still my energy is just really hype, you know, I'm for real up there and um, we got smoked out about six times because it wasn't working, eventually Hunter started recovering, you know and um, I remember sitting at the back with Bruce and um, just having a look out at the river and like as a, as a side note and just tied into the story about the Mullywamp and just seeing in my mind like spirits kind of going through the water which is something I hadn't seen before Um, and so we went to sleep again and we got the footage Hunter was feeling better but again same time at night we heard the you know the you know it's kind of scratching and thumping sounds so the next morning we woke up and so Dina our director had been making phone calls and they contacted some elders who are able to see things, you know, like those ones who got real strong, um, bone real strong magic. Um, and they looked into it and they saw this thing. They saw what had happened. So it had nothing to do with the Muyuwong. And this is what we weren't able to put on the, on the, on the episode because, you know, we, we couldn't, there was this, this old, old thing that was in that area that was clawed onto us and it was trying to take our energy so that it could take us like it was slowly slowly draining our energy throughout the whole time we were there so at night time we were scratching on the boat to keep us away because what i didn't know is that everyone was having that scratching thing it wasn't just me and it was draining us especially hunter because i wanted to take him particularly and what they had to do, these Wadi, the elders. They had to, they had to hold it back, like push it back, and we had to bolt from Murray Bridge, like we had to cut some of the stuff we needed to do because we had to leave the town immediately. So we took the boat back, got in the car, and left straight away. Got on the plane, uh, and that, that thing, has still hung around. hung around for a little bit after, um, as well. And I know after we finished filming. Uh, in my house at the time, um, I had a like a little puppy, and she would be freaking out about this one corner in the room, and just be barking and barking, like and whimpering and kind of hiding away. And so I've grown up with spirits in my, you know, in my house in and out, like family, you know, visiting things. Uh, so that that's okay. I, I can read the difference, but this was different. It was like every time I came to the house, there was this negative negativity that was just swirling around. And um, so I had to talk to um, Dina's brother, David. Um, shout out to him as well for giving me a hand for this. Uh, and he had a look and there was this thing that was just hanging on the backside of the door so that every time I came into this house, it was just bringing this negativity into the space. And uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest dangers about you know us as Blackfellas investigating spirits is that if you're – in hindsight, if you're not able to clean yourself or cleanse yourself or have access to someone who can, like if you don't have a nan or an uncle or auntie or someone you know, who can clean you out regularly after you do this, then you've got to be careful that you don't bring things back with you and you don't bring other things back to your community as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of other stories as well that happen with shadow trackers, but that's one I'll share for now.
0: And are you able to share a little bit about um, what we spoke about uh, earlier off offline?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so my kind of uh, past history, so probably about eight years ago, seven years, I've been clean for now, but I used to be uh, on methamphetamine quite a lot, uh, as well as, you know, gunga and acid, like a lot of different stuff I was taking, but mostly a lot of meth and a lot of gunga. And it was was around the time my nan passed away actually and so she was a real powerful powerful, powerful woman and she had a very strong impact on my life and so I was with her the moment she passed away Um, and so she passed things on to me that I was not able to handle at the time because of grief and so I kind of went into you know drugs and well actually more so drugs and alcohol and I think that's something that a lot of us, us young people or younger people kind of go through at the moment. Like all of us as as black fellows, as Aboriginal people carry the burden of grief because that's where we're at at the moment. That's That's our history. That's our living present because we carry our ancestors on us and within us at the same time. So we feel that imprint of that grief. And so that led me into delving more into these substances and um that's when I started to experience other things uh I'd always throughout my life I'd experienced you know I'd experienced Fudachis and Mummels and stuff like that um but for me personally I never felt like I could be touched by them like they could never break through whatever kind of barrier I was able to project or Protect myself with, but at this point, that's when that kind of shifted. Uh, so there's a bit of backstory I'll give you to continue with this story because this is a real big conversation as well. It's about you know how we as Aboriginal people, as Black people, perceive mental illness and you know mental unwellness symptomatically. When you combine that with spiritual things as well, uh, but I'll take a step back. So when I was younger i did a Ouija board once and so i was because i've grown up with like you know black spruce and my family and knowing that spirituality is real and that it's strong and i could feel it i could you know see it i could sense it when my friend's sister brought out this Ouija board i'm like nah this gambling thing don't worry about this you're right so i tried it out um And so my friend's sister, um, I won't say her name, just just in case, uh, but her friend was there as well, and she just started putting, like, red candles in the compass points of the room. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, But then she started speaking fluent Latin, and that's when I was like, well, shit, what have I done? (laughs) This might actually be for real. There might be some serious stuff that's going to happen here. So she finished up, and then this cup started moving around. And I still distinctly remember it because the candles were flickering but there was no wind coming in, all the, all the windows and doors were shut and this cup was moving around. And so I talked to my friend sister, I was like, you're just doing this. And she's like, no, I'm not. And so she let go. And the cup kept going around, you know. And I, I found out some different things, which I won't share on here, uh, just because there's, there's names involved. And I ended up finishing this kind of this session. And, you know, I felt weird, didn't really like it. I didn't feel comfortable with the situation. And that night I was going to sleep. And so um, I was sleeping in my brother boy's room and he had his bed. I was a mattress on the floor and his bedroom, the roof was probably about, I reckon, 10 foot high and there's like a little manhole in the far right corner. So the funny thing about this room is that, for as long as I remember, it you could always see the moon through the through the roof. I don't know how because it was like a you know it was a plaster ceiling. You shouldn't be able to see it, but you could, and you could trace it where it was going. And so I used to always be able to do that. And I remember this night that light I used to be able to trace was going in all different directions, like around the room, and. I went to sleep thinking, you know, that's a bit funny. So I was woken up in the middle of the night, I don't know what time, my mate was just tapping me going, Jack, 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 Jack. Wake up, bro, wake up, wake up, wake up. And I like, shut up. i like, what, 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 what? And he pointed up in the ceiling. And you know when there's like purple darkness when you're awake, and you, you, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you can see it's dark, but it's purple, like you can kind of see through it. Well, there was that, and then from the top right corner was pure black cloud just fueling out from the roof. And I'm talking like jet black. And I remember it coming over me, and this feeling where all of these negative things were just rushing through my head, and I was seeing all these images that were really distressing and horrible. And I was like stricken, you know, I was on my bed, just completely taken back. And so I had to do my protection thing. um, And where I asked my dad and Pop to look after me as well, because they were both alive at the time too. And um, and so that worked. And this, I opened my eyes again, and there was clarity between me, but I could see this cloud above me still. And my mate was just shaking on his bed. Like, you know, he was like proper shaking, and then he stopped. And I tried waking him up and nothing nothing happened. Eventually he said something, and I was like, okay, and I was freaked out, but after about an hour or two, I eventually fell back asleep. So, the reason why I brought that up is that, further down the track, I didn't really have too much experiences with that thing until, I was like, hey, by the way, see footsteps walking behind me in the house. So, <laughs> um. I'll tell you a quick story about this house after too. Um, so we, when I started going to addiction, it came back again, and it showed itself as this like it was this this presence, this black being, that was there. And there was a couple of times at this house I was staying at in um, in Willerton, which is just near Riverton in um, in Perth and WA. Uh, where I experienced these things. And so I was in the height of my addiction at the moment. I think I was in a period where I was trying to be clean, but I was still kind of dabbling a bit. And I remember this one night I was sleeping in my bed. And because I was in like addiction phase, I was a bit slothy, you know. Um, So I had like plastic bags around my bed. And I remember distinctly waking up because I could hear footsteps on those plastic bags coming around to my side of the bed. And there was just this heavy breathing just on my face, and I remember it just rolling around and be like, bust yourself, go to sleep. <laughs> just like ignored it like that. But then a couple of weeks later, I was in the same house and my brother boy from before was over. And so we were sleeping on the couches that were in the lounge room. And so the way this lounge room set up is that, you know, you walk in the front door, there's one room on the right hand side, walk down the hallway just a little bit. And then you've got the kitchen on the right and there's like a, one of those, Kind of kitchen islands, probably about a meter high or so, and directly on the other side there is a lounge room. So, on the other side of the island, there's one couch, and on the other wall, there's another couch. So, we're sleeping on the couches, and same thing happened again. Middle of the night, um, my mate wakes me up. Other boy wakes me up. Um, Wake up, wake up, wake up! And I wake up and I just hear like footsteps running and getting away and he jumps out of the couch sprints around behind the island walks around and he's like oh what I was like what What'd you see and he reckons that he woke up and he just seen this big black shadow just leaning over the island just staring at me while I was on the couch and when he woke up it sprinted away you know just disappeared so there's there's two things that this could possibly be in my mind so the first one is if we talk about addiction, drug abuse, alcohol, some of these substances that have never been prevalent for us as a people, it could be a messenger or, you know, like a mumble or a a dark presence that's there to persuade you to get off whatever you're doing because it's not right for your spirit. Uh, And I think we do have those. We always have had those. Um, I know up north and where I'm from too like around Marble Bar region I've seen it a few times actually there's tall men and they like they're real tall like pure black tall legs long arms that go down and they're there as messengers you know they're, they're there they don't do anything to you but if you see them you know that you're doing something you shouldn't be doing so I feel like it could be that but on the other hand because a widget board that I'd use that's not you know, that's not, that's not a blackfella thing. We don't create widgee boards. That's not our magic. That's not our spirituality. So it could have also been something from like an introduced spirit, almost like something that doesn't belong to this land. So we're not necessarily equipped to be able to rid ourselves of it. If you talk about spirituality and mental health, I think that moment has a lot, a lot, a lot to do. With things, So uh, one of the repercussions of, you know, drug addiction is I still suffer from anxiety every now and again. It's not always present, but it does come and go. And I think that's pretty much directly tied to that moment because it was like something hung on to me inside. It, it's only been recently that my auntie has actually been able to properly, you know, clean me out of this thing because it was still in there, you know, and that's what I mean, which is interesting because she, she practices both as you know as a mother and woman, but also as a as a Christian um, woman as well and so I'm not I'm not that way I don't really follow religion in that sense uh, but with this particular thing because it was from both those sides, my own family were' necessarily able to get rid of it because they couldn't see it as well. Um, and so if you talk about you know a lot of our people being taken, as young people and going to missions, which is a, a white Catholic institute or a Christian institution where those spirits are really prevalent, then it makes a lot of sense because we're not necessarily equipped to help ourselves in those regards to get rid of those kind of spirits. Um, I think I would recommend don't ever do witchy boards as <laughs> a... <laughs> just as a thing, like, Necessary at all, because there are some real, real bad stories about what happens with rigid boards. I think I was pretty lucky. Um, there is some real bad stuff. I think this also ties into what you were saying before, brother, about uh, how our elders and our wadi would use substances to communicate with spirits. you got to remember that that was taught, that was trained, you know, properly, that was through law. So yeah. oh, those mob knew they were taught proper ways of how to do that too. So a lot of us young people who maybe don't have access to going through might still be doing things and experiencing things but we haven't been taught properly so you kind of get stuck in this limbo behind between knowing is what you're experiencing real or is it psychosis and maybe it's a bit of both but because you're not happy to access that real pure form of knowledge or inner body or you can't rely on that and that starts to delve into your identity and that goes into your mental health well being as well and you know, a big conversation that is starting now is about, you know, the idea of mental wellness or mental illness and spirituality and what does that look like for Aboriginal people? Because the Western framework doesn't work for us. It's not it's not relevant because we don't work in that system. We're too deeply connected to other planes. You know, I was saying earlier about how we carry our ancestors not only behind us but in us, with us at all times, like time is irrelevant because we are everything at the same time. And I think all humans are what a lot of Westerners have been taught so heavily to disconnect themselves from their experience as a family, as a bloodline, that they almost have a strength in their independence, that they are just independent from everything else. So the responsibility doesn't rest on them, so they don't feel that pain, whereas we do but we carry greatness and strength with that too. Like we do carry magic from our people and there's a real power in that. So the reason I bring this up, and this is something that, you know, I was having really long conversations with my mum just recently talking about, you know, if you talk about the symptoms of schizophrenia, for instance, where you're hearing voices, um, you might have paranoia. Nine times out of 10, the voices you hear are not dangerous to outside people you know this is again you know this is um, you can't abide by what I'm saying obviously um, because there are different experiences for different people but what's to say that those voices aren't our spirits you know that are a reflection on some trauma that you haven't dealt with and that's the way that our spirit's trying to explain that to us you know and I think when it comes to drug addiction and alcohol and escapism a lot of that comes from our lack of being able to access our culture and our strength I'd um, I'd encourage any of you if you're listening and you kind of want to have a look at a really good thing um, look at The Circle of Courage by Dr. Martin Brokenleg he's a um, He's a, he's a black fellow from America, psychiatrist and psychologist, and he does a framework all about... It's a medicine wheel, which is all about culture and the impact it has on us as a people. Um, and I, I, I give this framework to all young people that I work with because I think it's really powerful because spirituality is so tightly wrapped up in that framework. It's one of the best mental health kind of things that I would recommend you have a look into because it does justify... To, modules, to people who need science and numbers, that as a race, as a people, us black blackfellas need spirituality. It is intrinsically tied within us, within our spirit, within our soul, within our body and our mind, you know? A lot of us know, and we can tell, but we're going through a massive shift. Um, and there's something that a really good friend of mine told me. I was doing uh, suicide prevention workshops with a young, young mob up in Derby, in WA, and she... I remember we were sitting, and we will just having a look out of the bush, and she said, you know, when great change, when great positivity is about to happen, it feels like the most demons are there holding you back, and that's because they don't want you to make that change and to get to that next stage. So I suppose for all of us right now, like it's interesting with COVID, um, you know, I see it as an equaliser in the sense that a lot of Wodulas are experiencing what we have dealt with our entire lives, um, which we we understand that feeling of uh, what's called sympathetic dominance, I think. So um, fight, freeze or flight, that feeling you get when you're always kind of anxious, you're always on edge because you're always a bit worried. So although right now we're dealing with a lot of injustice and there's a lot of pain in our communities that our mental health and, you know, suicide rates, drug addiction, all these things we're experiencing. And It feels like we are on the way to something really great and so I spend a lot of my life working with our young people, so our young young mob people coming through and I can tell you that they are going to do some real special stuff so we're close, we're almost there and, you know, we're just hanging there because it's going to get easier and you know we got this and big love to all of you
0: thanks for that uh, great positive uh, message to um leave us on zach um thank you for uh mm. being on the show and sharing your insights
1: no worries brother i appreciate it thank you
0: if you like this story then check out our other indigenous ghost stories indigenous people have lived in this country for thousands of years and form deep spiritual relationships to the landscape, which is generational. Some of these spiritual bonds include communicating with spirits on the other side.
1: And she was standing in the middle of the kitchen, pointing up to the air. And my mum said, what are you you doing? And she said, I'm talking to daddy.
0: And within a few minutes of leaving the trees, it was like almost at the house. From the Huawei in the south to the Dajai in the north, whether we like it or not, these spirits are a part of this land and a part of all of our lives.